Everybody, it's your boy, the original Sasquatch Slim himself, Jeremy <laughs> Rusk. <laughs> and it's your boy, the big old scream queen, Brandy Joe. The scream queen. And this is Scaring is Sharing. The place where we share our scares with each other and you. Yes, you. <laughs> sitting there listening right now out in the dock we could see you in your underwear yeah you look good you, 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 you've been working out yeah i think so i mean I think, look at I, that definition i think they have <laughs> jeremy how are you i'm good brandy joe how are you oh my god i'm so good now my day can begin because i've seen your face <gasps> i know it's really becoming like so my wife complains all the time that I I, uh, I throw a little Brandy Joe-like inflections on certain <laughs> turns of phrase now. Does that just, is that just code for really gay talk? Well, you know, I do your like movies and <laughs> when I talk about things uh, or when I say the word siax. <laughs> and I was like, she's like, you've been hanging out with Brandy Joe too much. And I'm like, yeah, there's no fun. such thing. There's no such thing. That's right. Not Sarah, get it together. It's your fault. We're friends anyway. So Yeah, get it together, Sarah. <laughs> well, I wanted to start things off. We had a little terrorgram from friend of the podcast, Nico, who sent over a few more horror mashups oh, from a couple okay. episodes ago. These have been a hit. They they really have. So there are three more. One is Matchbox 28 Days Later. <laughs> I like that. Green Day of the Dead. Oh, how did I not even think of that? And sometimes they come Nickelback. <laughs> that would be horrifying. <laughs> it really would be. Or sometimes they come Nickelback again. Oh, that in that one, like the people would die, whoever, but they come back as the band Nickelback. That's what uh, I see happening. Yep. So you always like to include the band in your your plots of these stories, whereas I just think of them as sort of jukebox musicals of the movies with. Mm -hmm. The songs of the artist, but you like to incorporate the artist into the mashup. I think I think that's how you can like we'll send it to them and be like, you guys want to be in a movie? It'll help your <laughs> Nickelback. We might be able to get. I'm just yeah. Saying. It might help resuscitate your uh, you know make your career <laughs> interesting again. So uh, the other one I I have that I didn't put down because it's a little too obvious is Children of the Corn with a K. <laughs> They actually have a song called Children of the Corn, I believe. Do they? On one of their albums, yeah. Oh. It might be on Follow the Leader, I think. And where's that remake? That remake needs to come out since it came out in Florida or whatever. And, yeah, it like, screamed in Florida, ago. I guess, and I haven't Just seen give it, it to pop us. up on anything. Yeah. What the hell? Why doesn't Shudder have it or something? On the, the front of horror news, did you hear that Cloverfield's officially getting a sequel? Like, they've talked about it for a while. No, I missed that. But like a sequel to like the uh, the OG Cloverfield. Oh, not these fake sequels. Right, not these Clover Universe. Yeah, Cloververse. Which, well, no, I heard. I never actually saw it, but I I remember hearing good things about Cloverfield Lane. Ten Cloverfield Lane is uh, yeah good. Okay, and then there was that other one that the paradox. I heard that sucked. It was horrible. The only interesting thing about it was that it sort of explained why there would be like a Cloververse. Oh, okay. Because it sort of there was like a rift in time and space that caused these like 
creatures to inhabit the earth these like various numerous different creatures okay. which could explain why there are different movies with different monsters and isn't the movie overlord supposed to be part of the it was rumored verse? to be and okay. also that underwater movie with Kristen stewart were both sort of like rumored to possibly be but i think we're ultimately disproven as being a part of the universe okay gotcha so but i'm excited and it's i from what i've read not going to be found footage so it's going to be like the Clovey, I think is what the monster's called. I think people call him Clovey. Okay. I may be wrong, but I think it's supposed to include him, but not be found footage. So just like a big monster movie with the Cloverfield monster. Cool. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of big monsters, or what are they called? Kaiju. Kaiju. So I saw a headline, I didn't read the article, about the new Godzilla versus Kong. Mm -hmm. And it said um, that there was like possible spotting of Mecha Godzilla. Mecha Godzilla. Mecha Godzilla. What is that? Who is that? Okay. It's funny that you bring this up too, because I have just recently watched Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla as one of my uh, recent viewings. So Mecha Godzilla is one of like the classic Godzilla nemeses, if you will. Uh, which is just a robot, a robot Godzilla. Like a mechanical Godzilla. A mechanical Godzilla. There's been a handful of movies to feature that character. Uh, originally, like the very first Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla from the 70s, Godzilla was the hero of that. And Mecha Godzilla is, you know, created by aliens to try and conquer Earth. And Godzilla oh. has to save the day. Uh, and then they've like flipped it. There's been other iterations like Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla, which I just recently watched. That's from like the 2000s. Uh, in that one, Mecha Godzilla is actually the remains of the original Godzilla from the 1954 movie, the, like oh. skeleton that human salvaged and incorporated into building the cyborg Godzilla to fight a new Godzilla that's terrorizing everything. But okay. Because clearly the only way to stop a giant monster is to build a robot duplicate of it. Duh. That's the sanest answer and then have them fight. So, <laughs> but that's Mechagodzilla. So it's pretty cool to see that character finally make the jump uh, over to these uh, American. I, that was one thing too in past iterations uh between the matthew broderick one like the 2014 godzilla they had godzilla but they didn't have any of the other classic monsters from the series and so it's cool to see that happening in these newer ones where they're like okay finally they got rodan they got mothra they're getting the other they're getting the rights to use the other classic monsters so cool yeah um i also read an article with john carpenter where he sort of teased that he would be open to coming back to directing with the right project because yeah. he's been somewhat retired for a I, while. Finally. Yeah. Like, I mean, please, it would be huge, huge. He did that flick, The Ward, Ugh. a few years ago. And that God, was really, I hated that. it was really not good. Yeah. Because I remember that was supposed to be his big return and then it was just not a very good movie. So I feel like that kind of scared him off again. It's like identity, right? Isn't the twist that it's like identity? Yes. Amber Heard, right. Yep, yep. God, I forgot that that was even him. That's embarrassing. I hated that film. Yeah, it wasn't good. I, I didn't even watch the whole thing. I watched part of it, and I was like, well, this sucks. If you've seen Identity, you've seen The Ward. So I don't know how he ended up attached to that. Just, you know. Because even, even like Ghosts of Mars, which I know is like universally reviled, and that was like John Carpenter's last 
big movie for a long time before the ward. I would take Ghosts of Mars over the ward easily. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. At least I mean, go- I haven't even seen Ghosts of Mars. It does not sound like something I would want to watch, but I would watch it over the ward. Yeah. Ghosts of Mars is just like, a, they're on Mars and there's like vampires on Mars and the colonists there fight them. So it's not even ghosts? They're vampires? They're, I don't know what they are. They're these monsters. It's like people on Mars are possessed by the spirits of these dead aliens that used to live on Mars or something. It's crazy. Hmm. The movie was supposed to be Escape from Mars. It was supposed to have Snake Plissken you know, from Escape from New York and Escape from Los Angeles. And it was supposed to be another one of those. But Escape from L.A. didn't do very well. So the studio was like, no, we're not keeping this a uh, Kurt Russell vehicle. And so that's how we ended up with Ice Cube, I think, was the lead of that. (laughs) And and I want to say Jason Statham was in it, too. But it's a mess. It's like a ridiculous bad movie. So there's okay. It's it's pretty goofy, but so I have I finally have my top ten horror movies of 2020. Oh, I'm going to give them to you now. Okay, you must watch every single one of them by the time we meet later in this episode. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, <laughs> we'll do. But I gave myself through the month of January to catch up. catch up, and I didn't get to all of them. I watched Bad Hair this week. Which I thought was fine. I was hoping I was going to love it. And I really, for a while, did love it. But ultimately, I was just kind of like, nah, it was fine. Mm-hmm. So my honorable mentions are Bakurao. It's a hard one to pronounce, but I think that's how you pronounce it. Palm Springs. And those two are sort of horror adjacent, which is why I didn't really include them in my top 10 as much as mm-hmm. I liked both of them. Come to Daddy, Hunter Hunter, Wolf of Snow Hollow, and Freaky. It's a lot of honorable mentions, but I have to say 2020 was a really good year for horror, as surprising as that is with everything that happened. Yeah, it feels like every time I turned around, they they were just pumping out a new horror movie or something horror adjacent, probably because that's the genre that's like easy to cheaply produce. That's really always the story. It's been like they're easy to crank out and make some money on them. So and maybe it's just because we have this podcast. So I've been watching more horror or because I had more time off this year. Mm-hmm. So I watched more than I normally would in a year, mm-hmm. but I just was like, there's so much good stuff. So in ascending order, my top 10, number 10 is 12 hour shift which features Angela Bettis, whom I love from May. Mm-hmm. Number nine is Relic, which we've covered on this podcast. Number eight is Possessor Uncut. Mm, I've heard good things about Sun. that. Yep. Number seven is The Mortuary Collection, one of the best anthology films. So that was good. Amazing. I'll have to check it out. I saw it floating around on the internet. I love the idea of anthology films, but they're so rarely all around great and it really was that's the one that had clancy brown in it right as the i um, think so as the like host if you will i think what was interesting about and i think what helped make it so successful is that it was like the same director for the whole movie as opposed to there being separate directors for each segment which kind of leads for sort of a lopsided anthology film sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah clancy brown is is that I think like the runner of the mortuary. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I I love Clancy Brown. He's one of the like greatest character actors, I think. Oh. And if people don't know this, he's the voice of Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob SquarePants. If you say so. So there you go. And he was the <laughs> Kurgan in the original Highlander. Okay. <laughs> the more you know. Number six is The Dark and the Wicked. Number five is Extraordinary. Number four is Empedagore. Number three is Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Number two is The Invisible Man, the remake with Elizabeth Moss. And number one is His House. 
So that's my top 10. It was nice. hard. And tomorrow I probably would arrange them differently. But as of today, that is the order that I included. And probably the there's two on there that I would say are somewhat questionable as far as being horror adjacent, and that's Possessor and 12-Hour Shift. But I think that they're a little bit more relevant than Palm Springs or Baccaro. Sure. I just think that they fit in a little bit better. But mm -hmm. I have one documentary, but it's horror documentary, so I think it, it fits in there. Gotcha. But you've only seen one of those out yeah. of my entire list of even with my well, I, I've seen The Invisible Man. Oh, right. You have seen The Invisible Man. I've seen the new one, which I am clearly not as crazy about as you <laughs> So, Well, Joe wasn't that crazy about it either. I thought it was okay. It wasn't bad, but it, I didn't think it was as good. Like, I remember when it came out, it got like, people were like, this is the best fucking movie ever. And I'm like, eh? really? Like, Well, I sort I of know. had, when Joe and I watched the trailer the first time, we were both like, that looks god awful like i thought mm -hmm. the trailer made it look like such a piece of shit and then it came out and everyone was just raving about it and i was like well i guess i gotta watch it mm -hmm. so we watched it and i mean i loved it pretty much the entire time i think joe was really in on it for about 15 20 30 minutes and then he was like yeah no i'm i'm not as crazy about this but i thought it felt like hyper energized more sci-fi version of sleeping with the enemy which is a film i'm very fond of i thought Roberts. that twists were great yeah i did love the twists i think the twists were great uh and there was like i don't know i feel like it was the middle section i thought was a little bit like boring i'm, I'm not sure yeah uh it it, it it was a movie that had me lost me had me you know it was one of those kind of movies sure so and she was just so good her performance yeah. was just top notch by the end of it i was more like and it, it was okay <laughs> it was good i think i gave it like three and a half stars or something like that when i Okay. Rated it on Letterboxd, so. Well, even though we're into 2021 already, if you have some top lists, like your top five, top 10, your top five least favorite, whatever, I would love to read some of your lists. So if you're out there listening in the dark and want to send us some of your lists for last year, would love to read them. Would love to know what you thought of mine. And um, if you've seen any of them, if you like them too. So hit us up, scaringasharing at gmail.com or on the good old Insta, all one word, scaring is sharing. The end. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, speaking of, have you watched anything outside of preparing your list? Just bad hair, because um, I thought I would probably include it. Mm -hmm. And it was just fine. It was really great for a while. And then by the end, I was just like, let's let it be done. But but there were some good, like Vanessa Williams was in it and Usher, and they were really fun. And Okay. And it like it was fun because it kind of reminded me of like those early 2000 Asian films with, you know, the girls with all the long hair, mm -hmm. which I was a big fan of. Um, I'm sure that must have a name that like genre or that that aspect of Asian horror. Mm -hmm. But but and it was kind of cool. They took this like some lore, like they had some like slave urban legends. Mm -hmm. And one of them was like the moss haired girl, which I don't know if it's like a real thing, but it was sort of like the story and like a 80s background sort of vibe. It was it was very like I loved the idea of it. It just didn't ultimately I was not sold on it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It just sort of wore its welcome out a little too early for me. What about you? Uh, I got a couple things. Uh, oh. I've I've really been in this kick now of revisiting, like, because uh, of trauma, low budget or more independent, like, 
goofy stuff. Uh, so this morning I finished up watching a little, I had a, I've seen this movie before when it came out, but that was years ago. Uh, so I revisited Wolf Cop. Oh my. Which is a, it was made in Saskatchewan, Canada. I've heard of it. Uh, indie flick. And it's just a riot, man. It's really, as the title says, it's this like shitty alcoholic, like small town cop uh, gets turned into a werewolf and he becomes the wolf cop. And then as sure. the wolf cop, of course, he kicks ass and is great at fighting crime. And it's part monster movie, like part superhero movie, crazy action and gore. Is he only a good cop when he's a wolf? It, really, it seems yes. Because okay. before that, he's really bad at being a cop. <laughs> and then okay. as a werewolf, he's kicking ass and taking names. Okay. And, they, you know, there's some more plot in there about a cult in the town and stuff. But it's got some really cool werewolf transformations. And since we can't seem to get away from this, it does have a fake penis mutilation scene in it that's yet again. Wow. We conjured it up in the universe and now it's everywhere. Now it's nonstop. But it, it's like <laughs> it's like while he's transforming, you know, it's it's got to be seen to be believed. So if you guys want to see some of the craziest werewolf transformations, I think I've that have happened in a long time. It's also got a scene in there where he hooks up with his love interest as the werewolf. So they have a sex scene where he is the pink hairy werewolf. Oh. Like the, the sensual love scene. Uh, and then that <laughs> had me thinking, like, how many times has that happened in movies where there's a werewolf sex scene? I, none that I am aware of. The only other one I can think of is, like, there's, like, an orgy scene of werewolves in The Howling 2. Okay. I was just going to ask, have you seen... How many howlings have you seen? How many are there? Like five? Oh, God. I think there's more than that. Isn't there like seven, eight, maybe nine, something like that? There's a ton of them. I have only seen the first two. And maybe like I'm saying that, but I was like, I, I have probably seen parts of like one of the later, like, you know, part five or part seven or something like that. I've probably seen bits of those on like cable. One is a classic. Two is like one of the greatest bad movies of all time. Like Troll 2? Yes. I would argue Howling 2 your sister is a werewolf is I mean that title. Yes. And I mean, the main villain is referred to as Sturba, the she bitch or something like that, or the wolf bitch. So it's like, you know, the movie's nuts. The poster doesn't say your sister is a werewolf, but IMDB says that, but the yes. poster, cause I have seen that poster many times, but when you said that, I was like, is that what it's called? And it, it is, mm -hmm. but nowhere does it say that on the poster. No, it's why it's not in my head. Yep, it's just, it had a bunch of different names, apparently. Uh, and it's got, you know, Christopher Lee slumming it because uh, he's the only, like, actor of uh, uh, any re renown or regard <laughs> that's in that movie. So it's like, poor guy doing it for the paycheck. You're right. There are eight of them. There's eight? Okay. Yeah. Yep. There's a Crazy. shit. To yeah. But I've only seen those first two. And that second one is nuts. So, like, uh, people need, people see it. It's hilarious. You'll be laughing. Like, it's one of those that's so bad it's laugh out loud hilarious. Do you think the wolf transformation in American Werewolf in London is the best werewolf transformation? Probably, period. I think so. People often say the howling, but I think that... I don't think the howling, because I can't even remember it. Yeah, I can sort of see it in my head. But an American Werewolf in London is amazing. What I can see in Howling is like, I think it's Robert Picardo was the actor. Uh, you can, I can kind of see his face transforming into the, you know, getting all monstrous. But it, I don't think it was as like crazy as American Werewolf is. And then I would say Fright Night when Evil Ed is turning into a wolf. That's a pretty cool. Or is he turning back from a wolf? I can't remember. I think it's- Is he not a, a vampire? 
He's a vampire, but remember, he turns into a wolf and attacks mm. uh, the main character, but then they kill him and he turns back into a person. And that scene is super freaky. Here, part two is very good. I maintain that I think it's goodness is overblown. Oh, okay. Honestly, here's my hot take. I think it's <laughs> not as good as the original because the original Fright Night is the best one, period. Yeah. I think two has this like cult following because it just has not been available ever on home video. Like it was once on DVD and then that went out of print like immediately. And now it's like hundreds of dollars to try and buy a copy. And it was like streaming once. That's how I saw it. It was on like Netflix or like Amazon for like a month, like okay. one time. And then dis- I know part of it is there's a rights issue because mm. like whatever studio produced part two doesn't exist anymore. And nobody okay. knows who own- owns it. But no, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's got, I don't think it's that gr- as great. I think part of it, people, it's just that people think it's, you know better because it's hard to find and people have talked it up over the years my favorite werewolf movie for sure is silver bullet i love silver bullet so much silver bullet is super good yeah uh and the stephen king uh novella cycle of the werewolf is super good as well is it a graphic novel no oh it's not but it is it's an illustrated novella oh Every chapter okay. has this like really cool illustration that goes God, with But it, that's but... why I have that in my head. Yeah. Okay. But it's like when you get a copy of the book, it's like a large format. Okay. Like it looks like the size of a comic book, but it's a, it's a novella. Um, it's only, it's like less than 200 pages, I okay. think. And each chapter is like a different month and has like a cool illustration with it. So very good. Yeah. I mean, I watch it a lot as a kid, which is probably why I like it so much. And Corey Haim is so good in it. And Megan follows. Gary Busey and, is really good yeah. in it. Fantastic. I rewatched it not too long ago and I, I, I still thought it was very good. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it, I think it holds up. It's a really good movie. What's your favorite werewolf movie? Probably American Werewolf in London or the original Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. So if you had to keep or kill every Dracula or every werewolf franchise, like if you Ooh. could only keep one of the franchises of like all iterations of werewolves or vampires, which would you keep? Man, that's really hard. I would probably keep all the Draculas, though. I think I would keep all the werewolves. I think I would rather watch a werewolf movie than a vampire movie. Because I'm kind of like weighing them. And uh, I think that honestly, like hit for hit, like I think there's better Dracula and vampire movies than there are werewolf movies. Because uh, if I'm killing all werewolf movies, I'm really killing only like a few good ones and most of them are garbage. <laughs> and then, uh, I feel like there's more like good vampire movies. Okay. But argue with me. Maybe you, everybody has a different opinion. I think I just like that struggle of like not having control just during certain times of something coming out of you. Whereas if you're a vampire, you're always a vampire. Honestly, I've always seen like the Wolfman and werewolf movies as like one of the greatest metaphors for being an alcoholic. I was just thinking that like it's sort of like addiction based. An addict of some kind where it's very similar where it's like, yeah, I can relate to that because there's like moments where you're out of control and it's like, that's what that's. Aren't, isn't talking vampirism about. also sort of similar? Like you have to have this thing, although you have to have it to survive or you die. And that's not necessarily it an addiction. On... You don't have to have heroin or crystal meth to like live. Yeah. You just really want it. Yeah. I think it depends on the iteration. Sometimes vampires yeah. are like that. Other times you have your variations of Dracula uh, who's in total control all the time. You know, he's just the ultimate 
he's really a stand-in for the devil in most of those stories, mm-hmm. Dracula, where he's a, like a supreme evil being. So depends. And writers make up their own rules, so it changes from movie to movie what happens. I think I derailed your conversation of what else you watched this week. You did a little <laughs> bit, but that was a good a aside. Bit. It was we a big aside. About... Go back to everybody. Wolf Cop has some really cool Wolf transformation yep. scenes in it too, though. So watch <laughs> that one. It's, it's it's a pretty neat concept where like the werewolf literally rips out of the skin. I love that. Of the human skin. It's really cool. So watch that. And I did watch a movie I'd never seen before. And I've heard about it for years. It's like a cult classic. Deep Throat. Deep Throat. You're right. <laughs> no, Castle Freak. Oh, the Ridge? The Ridge Castle Freak, because I wanted to watch the remake. The Bart with uh, Bob Crampton. Which I'm now hearing that the remake is not that good, so I lost steam on that. Yeah, I tried the trailer I just thought looked really horrible. So the original Castle Freak, I know it's been on my radar for a long time because it was directed by Stuart Gordon, uh, one of our faves. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of loosely a trilogy of... It's directed by Stuart Gordon. It's based on H.P. Lovecraft stories. Mm. Uh, and it stars Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. Mm-hmm. So it falls in, you know, you have Reanimator, From Beyond, and Castle Freak. That's like the loose trilogy that people put together. And let me tell you, it was good. I liked it a lot. And it is a, I would say it's the, have you seen it? I've seen like the first 25 minutes. Oh, like man, there's something like they're up on like a roof or something, oh, right? That's the end. Oh, then I must have made it a lot further. Yeah. Maybe I watched the whole thing and it just sort of. I would say revisit it and, you know. But this was uh, not long ago. We're talking the last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, because I was like, I've never seen Castle Freak. It sounds fun. And I put it on, but I obviously wasn't paying that close attention. I just remember there's something at like on the outside of the castle, like someone's trying to trick someone or something. And then I. Is that not it? That might not be it. <laughs> Maybe I watched something totally different then. You might have. So, you know, this this movie where Reanimator, I, I think part of too, like why it kind of fell into a quicker obscurity than Reanimator from Beyond was like, it's like the nasty cousin of those movies where Reanimator and from Beyond are gross and have a lot of, you know, gore and craziness in them. They also are very funny and Castle Freak is just no laughs. It's straight. Uh, playing it straight horror and just being dark and nasty. And it has a cool fucking monster in it. The castle freak himself. Yeah. I've definitely not seen it. I'm lying. I don't know what it was that I was watching. I, in my head, I thought it was castle freak because I, when I saw the trailer for the remake, I was like, Oh, they've added like a blind girl and this and that. But I'm looking at the original here and it, there is a blind girl in it. Yes. And it's about a family inheriting a castle. The one I watched was more like a hell night. Like they were going to like, hang out in this castle for the night. Yeah, you watched a different Maybe movie. I was literally watching Hell Night. That might be what You might have been. I think that you it wasn't be. in my head. I, I think I that's Hell Night. Castle Freak, I think you're right. <laughs> castle Freak, like, I feel like you'd enjoy it. Okay. From, having, okay. from what you said about From Beyond, yeah. like, if you liked the Reanimator and From Beyond, you'd probably dig this one too. Yep, I think, uh, yep, I got that all wrong. The, the Freak himself has like a super cool design. I think, like, you know, I see so many monster movies. Sometimes I feel like it's hard to be like impressed with like that is a cool monster uh and the freak is a really cool costume design and they do some real like there's there's a while he spends with like a bed sheet 
over himself as Love like a that. makeshift cloak. Okay. Uh, and, and the way it's like a raggedy, almost like baghead Jason. Yes, or Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yeah, he's ripped like eye holes in it and you can see his gross mouth like through the bed sheet. Yes. And you're like, that is a really evocative like design. Like, why am I not seeing that more on like merch? And like, you know, like I want a t-shirt of that, you know, that sort of thing. Like that's really cool and distinct. Uh, so yeah, the freak is awesome. There is the blind daughter and that really creates some there's a lot of tension because you know she's walking into a situation where she can't see what's going on but you can see the freaks right behind her and it's like oh my god there's a lot of that uh throughout the movie so i think it was it was a good one and i would love i love the idea of like a triple feature of reanimator from beyond castle freak like all together i'm sure somebody's done that but like that would be a fun night to uh, go through all of them where reanimator and from beyond i feel like are bigger movies even though from beyond is almost entirely set in just that house but it does feel like you know it's got like a grand scope because of all the cosmic stuff that it's trying to do castle freak feels like a really claustrophobic movie because mm-hmm. they're just in this castle with a monster and funny enough i learned that charles band the famous, you know, B-movie producer that runs Full Moon Pictures mm-hmm. uh, that made Castle Freak. He, that's actually his house. He owns a castle in Italy. Oh, wow. Uh, and they've shot a bunch of, it's like his summer retreat or whatever. Okay. Uh, and they've shot a bunch of movies there because he just likes to not have to pay for locations or travel. So it's like, just do it in my summer house uh, in this old castle in Italy. That's amazing. Yeah. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I bet you they'd use the same location for the remake. Well, now I got to watch it because, yeah, I totally in my head had that I was watching Castle Freak and it was Hell Knight. And now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, yeah, I remember being like, oh, I don't think I ever really watched Hell Knight. And that's what it was. Yeah. And Barbara Crampton is in it and she's fantastic as always. So great. And and I know you like Jeffrey Combs. He is turns in like one of those like he's like almost a Nicolas Cage quality to it where Jeffrey Combs can just dial it up and go for broke like crazy you know through a manic through a whole movie and that's what he does in this in castle freak and it's fantastic cool so check it out guys okay i will i will check Mm -hmm. it out good shall we get into our shares i think so okay it's me first this week you first god i just have like just in my head there's like four that i'm like i could do this one could do that one so i'm just we're gonna i'm gonna give you one off my list. Okay. Because, you know, I like to go very contemporary. Yes, you do. While you like to dig in your back pocket for one from the far past. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to go with a, a, a horror comedy route. And I'm going to give you 12-hour shift. It literally changed moments before it came out of my mouth. Awesome. 12-hour shift. Do you know anything about it? Nothing, except it's set in like a hospital. Oh, well, then you know something. Okay. Then I'm right. <laughs> That's what I know. It's a 12-hour shift because it's about, like, a nurse in a hospital. I know it's not, like, a straight horror movie from what I had heard where it's, like, it's not, like, a haunted hospital or zombies in the hospital. It's, I feel like, a human drama in some way. And I don't know. I feel like there's murder in the hospital. So I think it's a murder mystery set in a hospital is what I think it is. I think a nurse is working a 12-hour shift and somebody dies mysteriously uh, and they're trying to figure out what's happening. That's what I'm going to go with it. Okay. That's what I think. So cool. Can't wait to see it. Because <laughs> I heard a lot of rave reviews for it. So I want to, um, I'll be glad to finally check this thing out. 
Cool. Well, I hope I hope you like it. And I was fluctuating between two movies. Okay. Two two older exploitation y type movies, if you will. But our conversation we just had picked the movie for me. <laughs> uh and I am giving you Near Dark. Oh, the Clive Barker? No. Oh. Oh, that's Nightbreed. <laughs> that's Nightbreed. <laughs> Near Dark is a vampire movie. You are correct. So I know it's from the like later eighties, I wanna say. I'm going to say like 88 okay. or so is in my head. Okay. Okay. I feel like it's sort of like not punk, maybe like punk vampires. I feel like, or it's like Western vampires. It's a, it's an interesting take on vampires that much. I know. Like, I don't think that it's like what you typically see. I feel like they're either, it's like somewhat Western or they're like leather jackets and like, like a biker gang vampires. I'm really in my head getting it mixed up with Nightbreed. <laughs> Except Nightbreed's all about like a whole bunch of different monsters. Yeah. But doesn't it have like a cool, like leather jacket biker sort of feel to it? They all fucking do. Like, <laughs> there's a certain era where they're like, every monster now has to be like a hell's angel. Yeah, that's true. I feel like near dark is like a cool twist on vampire stories. Like, I feel like there's going to be some conventions that are kind of broken in it. But I feel like there's like a gang of vampires as opposed to it being like one, like a, a troop of vampires. Because like, I, I feel like I see it in my head that there's like a group of people on the poster. Like, I feel like there's a kid. Is it the kid from River's Edge? Is he in it? I feel like there's a boy. Oh, I want to talk so bad about this. And I know it's gotten very positive things, but I feel like... And also I'm getting it mixed up with Lost Boys in my head too. I feel like this comes from that same vein of like this like later 80s, like let's put some twists and some modernization on like vampire tales. And I think it's going to be real bloody. I want to say it's more on like a a neo-Western feel is what I'm going to go with, if that's even a terminology. Sure. And I feel like there's someone who gets wrapped up in it who either becomes a vampire or gets mixed up with them and like... Wants to be a part of the, like, somewhat, either he has internal struggles with his own vampirism, if that's a word, and he, he struggles with it. He has struggles with either being a, wanting to be a part of the group or being a part of the group and not wanting to be, and there will be bloodshed, and I think it's going to have a bleak ending. That's what I'm going with. Bleak AF, but I think ultimately evil will prevail. That's what I often go to in my summaries. Evil will prevail. You do. I do. You do go, go to that those route. a lot. As much as yeah. I don't know that I like those endings, but I it's what it's what I'm going with. Okay. Well, cool. <laughs> I can't wait to discuss it more. I kind of even I picked this one too because it's been a while since I've seen it. Mm -hmm. And historically, this has been like a personal fave of mine. Uh, so we'll see if I still react to it as strongly. Cool. It's also it's also going to tie into I sort of like mapped out a trajectory, mm. like an arc of movies I'm going to start giving you oh. that kind of follow a little pattern here. I love uh, so arcs. We'll see if you figure out going forward. Okay. Doo -doo -doo -doo, as I do these movies, <laughs> I figured out how I'm connecting a few of these. So cool. Mm -hmm. well, we'll be back well, to discuss. We'll We'll be back. We'll be back. Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. <sighs> We're back. Yeah, we are. What's up? 
Hey guys, did you miss us? Uh, you didn't have any time to because it was literally like three seconds and then we they started talking have. again. They could have. They, they could have and they might have. They might have wished we were way longer. I know. They might have been listening to that awesome ass theme music we got. Nick Estriba. Yeah, Nico Man. Is that what you call him? It's one of his many nicknames. Oh my God, we have two Nikos, friends of the podcast. We do have two Nikos. I always thought it's fun, funny that we have other friend of the podcast, Nico, because growing up, Nico was one of Nick Kastriba's nicknames. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's get into some movies. So first off is 12-Hour Shift. 12-Hour Shift. And the letterboxed tagline is, pull your shift together, which I love. <laughs> I think it's so fun. <laughs> that's funny. And the description is, it's 1998, and over the course of one 12-hour shift at an Arkansas hospital, a junkie nurse, her scheming cousin, and a group of black market organ-trading criminals start a heist that could lead to their collective demise. Okay, first off, I want to say that's partially wrong, because the movie fucking says 1999. In the that's what I thought, and then I'm reading this, and I'm like, wait, it's 1999, because Y2K is a plot point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this movie was a blast. This was really good. A bloody good time. A bloody good time. I do remember what seeing reviews uh, a little while back where people were like, it's not a horror movie. Like apparently some people got incensed or something about it getting lumped in with horror, which I can get. Like this is horror adjacent for sure. Like this isn't a true horror movie. But as we're learning with this podcast, horror is very broad. I feel like it could be considered a genre film. I don't know why the term genre seems to be a little bit more all-encompassing yes. of things outside the the fray. And I feel like being a genre film or a fan of genre, like it automatically brings those things in. Like horror is kind of like the genre that just, it's like a vacuum cleaner that sucks up all the little stuff that no other genres want or nobody else wants associated yeah. with their category. So it gets lumped in with horror. But yeah, this was great. This was just, I had a ton of fun with this. Do you know, watching it this time, do you know what I thought of? What movie it brought to mind? What's that? murder party yeah i can see that i didn't i didn't think of that but this is very it's in that same kind of vein man like real indie kind of silly kind of silly you know it's not big budget but it doesn't show like this yeah. movie does a lot with what it has and it knows what it wants to do and it does it well once this got going like i'm like this is fucking funny like i was cracking up this whole movie and this is like my kind of humor too dark gallows humor as they say yeah. i was all about it uh, the one thing I was thinking about was this totally feels like maybe I'm just making this up, but I seem to remember like as a kid in the 90s, there was always like sensationalistic news stories about like this hospital is selling organs on the black market. And like, <laughs> I feel like that's maybe part of why they decided to set it when they did, because it seemed like that was a a thing in the 90s we were worried about everybody selling everything you know secret psychopaths all around us all the time like i don't know if that tied into it but that's what it made me think of well i have a little insight in regards to that oh you do so yep yeah, because i listened to a couple interviews with bria grant who's the director and the writer and she's a child of the 90s so that's mm -hmm. partially the reason but she seems to remember of when she was a kid hearing the story about a nurse killing people in texas and also in the 90s urban legends were really big about like your organs getting stole and okay. things like that and cut so out. I, i'm so not crazy kind of combined all of those and yeah, yeah. you're 
a hundred percent on that, with that's that. totally what it felt like because yeah you feel like you turn around and there was always a story about like did you know about this guy in this hospital that like stole all the kidneys from these patients and they never caught him that yeah it was it was pretty crazy i did want to point out that as this movie's going along all of a sudden mick foley is in it who i didn't know until i started doing a little research and i'm you're like oh it's a pro wrestler of course jeremy's like ah oh, no, I, I was wrestler, hoping you'd be excited wrestler. <laughs> as soon as I saw him, I was like, fucking Mick Foley is in this. Uh, and for those that don't know, Mick Foley was mankind uh, in the WWF, WWE, whatever the hell they they were calling themselves, whatever they're calling themselves now. Uh, he was one of the gnarliest, craziest wrestlers ever. They called him the king of the Japanese death match. Oh. He did some of the uh, most, you know, blood curdling stunts you've ever seen in pro wrestling matches. So if you guys want to go down a rabbit hole, pull up Mankind or Mick Foley on YouTube and watch some of his uh, match highlights for those that aren't, you know, too chicken to watch him get <laughs> thrown, you know, through the air. Yeah, it's just crazy. But yeah, that so that was pleasantly surprising. And he's a pretty good actor. That was I the thought other so thing. Too. Yeah, and do you know like, how they got him? Was it David Arquette? David Arquette and his wife, Christina, are both producers. Mm-hmm. And they he said... Do you want a wrestler? And she was like, okay. So he flew in for a day to film his stuff. That's awesome. And I did not know that David Arquette was a WCW world heavyweight champion, whatever That's, that yep. means. He, um, David Arquette had, uh, he made that movie Ready to Rumble, I think it was called. It was like a wrestling based comedy back in the, what, 90s? It rings the bell. Maybe the early 2000s. He was a big fan of wrestling. And then he kind of, like, I'm pretty sure his heavyweight champion title, it's a gimmick. You know, it, that was a, it was a gag. You know, he was in the WCW, like promoting his movie. And uh, I, I guess, like, people, some more hardcore fans thought that was too silly. They weren't into it and kind of, you know, he took a lot of flack for doing that. Okay. And there was recently a, uh, what was it? A documentary. You can't kill David Arquette or something along those lines where he like got back into fighting shape and started doing some like legit wrestling Oh. or semi-pro pro wrestling. So, uh, and I saw that the composer of the music for this movie did that movie too. So there's a David Arquette connection all over the place here. And, and that was a great little surprise too where i was like oh fucking david arquette's in this movie now all of a sudden and it's yeah because like, cool. it didn't have opening credits it just says i think a 12 hour shift and then like yeah and it starts or whatever and, he, and he's the crazy criminal and that was a perfect role for him to just be like i love that that was kind of a red herring where you thought that was going to be more than it was and it's just yeah like he was going to wake up and start killing people yeah something. it was just background flavor and he did but yeah but in a different way but yeah, it wasn't. And those two, the two leads, man, uh, May herself, Angela, Angela Bettis, Bettis yes. she was perfect for that role. And uh, the other gal who who played Regina. Oh, my yeah, God. Her who, cousin. Yeah. The who's not her cousin. Her cousin by her marriage. Cousin. <laughs> it was so good. And the way she just like snaps into psycho mode so quick. <laughs> she, she goes from just being kind of a fuck up, you know, redneck burnout type to just like, all right, I'm going to kill this guy. And then she does it. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I think my favorite moment is at the end when she just takes off her clothes, no underwear and just walks to her oh, car. <laughs> I was going to say too, in, in the spirit of fair play on this podcast, since you always call out the boy butt, I got yep. some surprise girl butt at the end there. And yep. I was like, oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that, but okay. 
Yeah, Angela Bettis was so good. And Bria Grant, who wrote it and directed it, is sort of a genre actress. I know she's in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 and and a, a slew of other films that I've not seen. I saw she had like a million acting credits on yeah, IMDb. She's and done I was like, a oh, lot. Wow. And she's directed a couple times, but this was like sort of her baby. And she was going to play that part for a while. Mm. Um, and then they were like toying around with the idea of Angela Bettis. And they sent the script to like her agents and their agents were like, yeah, it's a little too young for her, but she really wanted her. So she like sent it to a mutual friend and said, can you get this to her, please? And tell her we'll do anything to have her. And it got to her sort of, you know under under the table and and she read it and loved it and said yeah i'll do it and i loved uh the dude in the waiting room oh my god <laughs> it reminded me of a role i would play like for sure. and, and just that twist at the uh the end there where it's like oh he's the one that was taking the fucking bags because yeah. like, i was like i knew he was gonna come into play somehow something like bigger than just being annoying in the waiting room so i i i was i loved that twist at the ending a fun little thing about the the hospital where they shot, um, there was a floor in this hospital uh, in Arkansas, which I think is where it's ta- where it takes place. I think that's mm-hmm. what I said in my little description. Yeah, in Arkansas. So they found this hospital that had a floor being renovated, and they were able to use the whole floor for everything. So half of it they shot in, and the other half was for like the cast and their offices and everything mm. like that. So they just were able to just hang out in this hospital and just have the whole floor to do what they needed to do. That's that's awesome. That's that's you know perfect. Is the way to go. <laughs> this the stars aligning there. And as much fun as these characters are, this is also a movie where I'm like, okay. But they're also terrible people. So part of me wants some comeuppance. Like I, there's got to be some punishment that catches up to him. And that's why I loved the very end that they think it's all over. She goes back in for her, you know, next half of her double shift. And then Mick Foley's character comes strolling up where you're like, okay, it's going to catch up to her. Like that's, <laughs> this is bad news written all over it. Like the the gangster criminal, whatever he is, he's coming to, he's coming to get her now. And that's, that's it. And a big thing about this movie is like the female power that's involved in it, like that it's written and directed by a woman. It's Mm -hmm. predominantly about these women characters. And Bria Grant really wanted to celebrate the female anti-hero because there's so many women like there's she talked about how all these women are like have all these great roles in cinema but so many times they're like up on this pedestal and she mm-hmm. wanted to present like these women who had flaws but you're still rooting for them and, yeah. and she said in order to see women as equals we have to treat them as humans and therefore they need to have flaws and i really love that sure absolutely like yeah where's the where's the female walter white or the you know tony soprano like the anti-hero that people can't stop you know they're a terrible person but you can't stop rooting for them part of you wants them to <laughs> to win so i feel like it would feel a little more original if nurse jackie wasn't a thing because this kind of just feels like a really fucked up episode of nurse jackie or like yeah. a whole season of nurse jackie i didn't finish it all i watched like the first few seasons and i really like it and tony i mean um edie falco is fantastic edie falco. yeah she's amazing but it just there's that that sense of like the the nurse being a druggie, which I, I think it probably is a thing with lots of nurses. Not saying like all nurses, but I'm sure that there's you know they have access to the drugs, and if they're having to stay up all night and mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff. I've heard stories. I've known people in the you know working in hospitals in the medical profession, and there's some wild stories out there. 
but it feels a little bit like that. So if it was a profession that wasn't the focus of an entire TV series, yeah. like it might have felt a little bit more fresh. Mm -hmm. But I still, that doesn't like hinder my enjoyment of it, especially because I just think Angela Bettis is so good and she can play meek and quiet and weird so well, like she did in Carrie and mm -hmm. in May. And here she's just like the opposite of that. She still has this quiet energy, but it's much more like, oh my God, don't fuck with me. This is not yes. going to happen. She's ready to blow up. Yeah. And this this movie too just feels like a, a weird, like it's got a Coen Brothers kind of energy to it. For sure. Where it's really, really off kilter humor. And then it's just a nonstop comedy, maybe even tragedy of errors <laughs> that just keeps going. Every time you turn around, totally. something happens that causes another chain reaction. And that's totally like how Coen Brothers movies are plotted. It's like a Rube Goldberg machine of just bad decisions so like if this were a cohen brother movie um angela bettis's role would be played by holly hunter like for sure yes absolutely <laughs> yeah yep yeah holly hunter or francis mcdormand oh yeah in that role sure. yep yeah because yeah. we recently watched raising arizona and i kept having flashes of holly hunter mm. like in this like just some of the lines or the delivery and things like that and so and I, I but i didn't think cohen brothers i wasn't even thinking of that i was just thinking of her yeah i freaking love raising arizona as well yeah it's that a good Time. that's a fantastic movie but it is. and that, that's kind of like yeah sure i could see these like double featured together racing yeah. arizona in this movie they yeah. they complement each other pretty well another thing i really love about it is the music i think the music is weird and funky and i very cool not a fan of opera music but i do love when opera is blended with another genre mm -hmm. for some reason that just like i love that which is just so weird like i don't want to hear straight up opera but mm -hmm. you throw it with some techno or some rock or something like when evanescence first came out i was such a fucking queen for evanescence not that mm -hmm. it's opera but it's that sort of classical operatic style with like this sort of metal kind of music yeah. and oh my god i just i would go to sleep listening to evanescence every single night <laughs> but like i love the music and i after I watched it this second time, this is the second time I've seen it, mm -hmm. this guy named Matt Glass is the one who did the music, and he also did the cinematography. He's also a yeah, producer. that's but really crazy. it makes crazy. sense in regards to how some of those scenes are structured, where there's almost like two music video sort of sequences. There's the one where they're singing. Yeah, that song number. Yeah, there's like the this random the music number. It's and then there's so another good. time where like the music is happening and like I think it's the guy with the Walkman again, like he's dancing to the music you're hearing. Mm -hmm. So there's these sort of sequences that are like sort of out of reality. Yes. I mean, the whole thing is sort of a heightened reality. But then there's sort of these two music numbers and it just made sense that he did the cinematography as well. Just the way they blend together so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And that, is, that was really cool the way they played. Now, if I remember my film school phrases, Ooh. diegetic sound is the sounds in the movie that the characters can also hear. It's part of the, you know, the plot. Okay. So, like a song playing on the record or something like yeah, that? Yes. So like he's listening on his Walkman. I believe that's the diegetic sound. And it would segue into what they call non-diegetic, which is everything we hear, like the score of the film but you know, the characters are oblivious to the actual construction of the movie itself. So I like the way, what I was getting to was the way they play with the diegesis and the non-diegesis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the way oh, they- Oh, wow, pretentious. 
<laughs> pretentious much? Uh, go back to film this school, asshole. This has been asshole. filmmaking with Jeremy. That's right. You know, it's just just what the world wants. Another pretentious uh, movie reviewing podcast. No, but... I I actually appreciate doing that. I think that's kind of cool. And I think I'm using that right. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Somebody probably just screamed. <laughs> screamed at their phone and threw it across the room because I just said it wrong. Uh, so write to us and let us know if I'm stupid. <laughs> and Scaring a sharing at gmail.com. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the way that he just blended that. And I think like you were saying too, the fact that he was also the cinematographer, like he fucking had it all figured out. He knew exactly what shot was going to go with what piece of music I'm sure ahead of time. And it was probably very intentionally crafted mm-hmm. uh, to fit together. And it, the opera choices too, just using like like a neoclassical and like operatic stuff mixed into the score really like just helped the mood of this movie. This like super off kilter. There's a moment too where Regina's driving in the convertible and I thought it was just supposed to be the score, but she turns the radio off. And so like, oh, so the radio was blasting opera like while she was <laughs> driving around. I was like, okay, in her that's Barbie weird. car. Yeah, I was like, that's, that's kind of quirky and cool. Okay. Yeah, it's a weird one. I want to read one review. It's by Scout Tafoya from Consequence of Sound. And it reads, The strange and anxious mixture of the working women comedies of yesteryear, think 9 to 5, Baby Boom, and Working Girl, with the cramped hospital horror shows of our Saturday night sleepovers, Recall, Visiting Hours, Halloween 2, and Dream Warriors, is always compelling, always nerve-wracking, mostly funny, and agreeably gross. Yes. And I love that. Yes to all of that. That's perfect. Uh, Yeah, and it does have that vibe of, like you said, Dream Warriors and Halloween too. Like, it's not flat out horror, but it's got that hospital terror vibe. Like, I love a a good hospital set horror thriller. I've not seen Visiting Hours. Is it any good? I don't remember it very well. I feel like the video cover is like a hospital on the outside and the lights make a skeleton. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's... uh, I know I've watched it, but it's one of those movies where I think it left so little of an impact. I've just totally, you know, it's totally mm-hmm. evaporated. It's one of those, I think one of my buddies that like he had it on the blue, like, you know, a, a collector like me of just like everything that gets a special edition release or whatever. I remember, I think we watched it at his apartment one time and it was like, okay, this is pretty like not memorable. I can see why this is an obscure uh slasher movie but and you're pretty your prediction was a nurse in a hospital it's not a straight up horror movie there's a murder in the hospital mm-hmm. it's a murder mystery of sorts a nurse working a 12-hour shift you got that right on yeah. um someone dies mysteriously and they're trying to figure out what's happening most of that is all pretty uh mostly pretty true i didn't yeah. realize that they were going to be part of the thing like yeah. <laughs> they are the one this is all happening because of the main characters so and i love karen she's sort of the, like the, oh, the mastermind yeah. behind the whole operation she is yep. just so e- fantastic everybody every like role in this is perfect like they got perfect actors for everything and it went off without a hitch yeah this is a blast people need to watch this yeah i agree um, it wasn't as fun the second time just because I knew everything that was going to happen, mm-hmm. but I still really enjoyed it. Um, but the first time I was just like that roller coaster was like, you know, such a thrill ride. Mm-hmm. How many amputated bladders would you give this out of five? Four. 
That is exactly what I thought you were going to give it. You know me so well. <laughs> I gave it four the first time I reviewed it. Last night after I watched it, I was like, mm, three and a half. And I don't know that I'd include it on my top 10. But then after like doing these re this research and listening to these interviews and this conversation we just had, it got me all psyched up about it. And I was like, I'm keeping it at a four. Keep it at a four. It deserves <laughs> it. It deserves it. It does. So I guess we move on from 12 Let's hour shift on. to near dark and I shall read the, okay. So the letterboxed tagline they have is in one hot, hungry kiss. He gave her everlasting love. She gave him everlasting life, which is kind of like, that's a mouthful of a fucking tagline. I saw it on a poster and I was like, that's really hokey. No, I've seen another one, which is just, Pray for Daylight, which I think is a much yeah, better. That's much better. Much, much better with a movie called Near Dark. So anyway, the summary is a Midwestern farm boy recently becomes a member of the undead when a girl he meets turns out to be part of a band of Southern vampires who roam the highways and stolen cars. Uh, mm. A little bit vague, but- uh, I'm, you know, I dig a vague summary. That's what happens. I mean, that's part of the plot, so- It really uh, is. Take it away. Give me your impressions. I- Really loved it. I mean, I know we talked about before vampire movies aren't necessarily my thing. I would take a werewolf movie over a vampire movie, but I it is definitely not your typical vampire movie. Like they don't even have not fangs, which I really mm -hmm. dig. Like it's just sort of this obsession or this need for human blood. And, and they're not great people. Mm -hmm. Although in the end, lots of them do have much more of a heart than you see for the majority of the film but it was so fun and i realized as it was going like i probably knew as much as i did about it because i've seen it on a lot of like compilation things where they talk about we're going to talk about vampire movies in this section in like this history of horror or something like that because i knew that bar scene when they got to it uh -huh. like i was like oh i'm familiar with this scene which is like the best scene it's so good it is. I, and then the, the motel scene is also really good. Both motel yeah. scenes, really. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, they're both so good. And for any other little queens out there that are watching, the little girl who plays his sister is also the little girl who plays Barbara Hershey's younger self in Beaches. Oh. Which I discovered. Because I'm like, she looks so familiar. Look, uh -huh. Rob, can't remember her name. I didn't write it down. But she plays that She's girl. super cute. She's super adorable. Super adorable. Yep. And Adrian Pazdar. Pazdar? Sure. Sure. What a dreamboat. <laughs> like from that first scene, I'm like, this guy is gorgeous. I loved him. And he plays a vampire so well. He just has a quality about him. Just a little like pasty. And I, I mean, I'm sure it was a lot of makeup and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I just thought he fit that so well. He did turn awfully fast. Like she just bit him and the sun came up and he was smoking already. Like I was like, yep. but then it still takes him days to turn into a vampire. Yeah. That seemed like there I was like, well, I wrote a note. I'm like, he turned a little fast. There's but I mean, little... I don't know how vampire venom works, you know? Sure. What do I know? Yeah. It's their movie, their rules. They made up their own <laughs> rules in this one too. So they, they did. They did. As I was like looking my phone and writing down character names and the actors playing them, I saw that the gal who played Diamondback and Bill Paxton both were in Aliens, which is playing at the movie mm -hmm. theater when they walk by it. There's a scene where he walks yes. by the movie theater. It's like Aliens. And I was like, that's hilarious. As is uh, Lance Henriksen. Oh, he is too? Yeah. Oh, who my played God. Jesse, Jesse Hooker, which is. Yeah. He's 
Such a creeper. What an awesome fucking character name, too. It <laughs> is. Jesse Hooker. And Bill Paxton was so good. He's normally a nice guy. Yes. Or like just a little sleazy, but like here he was like. Full psycho. Full psycho. And Loved Bill it. Paxton was so good. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, Bill Paxton was so good at bad guys when he got to play them. Did you ever see Frailty? Yeah, it's been a long time. Like I saw it when it first came out. So he's we're so fucking, years. so fucking creepy in that movie. He's the dad, right? Yes. He's, okay. the kill- he's the killer. You know, spoilers, guys. He's the murderer. But you know it the whole time. You know right? that from not- the get go. Yeah. There's a twist, but that's not it. Yeah. He's so creepy in that. So, and in this too, like Severin is like mm-hmm. one of the coolest fucking vampires, I think. I want to be him for Halloween one year. <laughs> I should. think that would be such a good costume, just with the blood and the leather jacket. It's it's so striking. And I'd never seen it, but that I think it's the main poster. The movie poster is like him with the holes in him. Him all smashed up, yeah. I only ever had seen the VHS cover, which is like three of that, like Bill Paxton, Diamondback, mm-hmm. and Jesse Hooker. Lance Henriksen. And the three of them, and then like with the hill and the little shadows up top. Yes. That was the poster I only ever knew. But then when I started like on Wikipedia and IMDb, it's that one with Bill Paxton with the holes in him and he's bloody and it's an amazing poster. Yeah, it's really good. Love it. This movie, like I remember seeing this as a kid or I guess, you know, teenager, preteen going into my teenage years. Uh, this Since this came out like maybe the same year as The Lost Boys, because they were really close to each other. So they're often associated together. So I remember seeing them. And that makes that makes sense. I remember seeing them on TV together yeah. often. And, and they're two of my favorite like vampire movies for sure. Uh, and there's just something about them. They, they both have, you know, Lost Boys has that like punk rock vibe. This has got, similarly, it's got like a grungy outlaw vibe to it. And I'm like, that's how you do vampires. It's just so sexy. And like, I love the aesthetic of them. I always thought Diamondback was super hot. So And she has a like a little bit of a heart at the end. Yeah. They're they're You you find out they're kind of a family too. I found a whole, talk about a cult movie, man. There's like a million fucking essays between from fans to film critics to everyone in between. There's a ton of essays about this movie. And I read this one that was written for a screening in California from like a few years ago at like the New Beverly Cinema. And they talked about the family unit of the vampires Mm. and how they're supposed to represent possibly they're a metaphor for the disintegration of the nuclear family or the traditional family because they're not a traditional family. Yet there are still clinging to certain roles in there where they're like Severin's like the older brother and Homer's like the kid brother. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, Jesse and Diamondback are clearly the mom and dad of the family. And then they also talk about two where, oh no, sorry. Then I read an interview with Jeanette Goldstein, I think is her name that played yeah, Diamondback. That's right. Uh, I read an interview with her from a few years ago in a, like a retrospective thing of this. And she said that uh, as she understood the characters, so Jesse, you know, became a vampire the movie says it was around the Civil War because he says he fought in the Civil War. Right. And so he turned her sometime after the turn of the 20th century. Diamondbacks, like the 40s or 50s, she became a vampire. Uh, and then she turned Homer, or sorry, maybe the 30s or 40s. And then she turned Homer like in the 50s. 
because mm. uh, she wanted a child and he's supposed to be this leave it to beaver kind of <laughs> like fill in the coming from that the corruption of like this leave it to beaver kind of kid and he is so creepy like in river's edge he's super creepy joshua miller i love that you i love that you called that where you're like it's got the kid from river's edge and i'm like it sure does <laughs> and do you know what i discovered about him this week that i did not know I know exactly what you discovered. That he wrote the final girls. He's one of the, yes! like the co-writers, which is my favorite yeah. movie ever. I was so excited when I read that. Um, oh my God. I was like, that's so crazy. And I read part of the final girls was himself. His father was Jason Miller. Yeah, I never put that together that that's who it was because I knew that aspect who was mm -hmm. in The Exorcist. And so it was kind of based on his relationship yep. with his Father dad. Karras. Father Karras from yep. The Exorcist. But they sort of altered it to be this girl and her mom yeah. is a, a scream queen. So like it was just that's I love that they altered that. And I never put it together that that was him. Yeah. That little creepy boy from R The River's Edge. And yep. he grew up dark. to... Uh... Cause he doesn't act, I don't think anymore. Uh, just some writing and producing and stuff it looks like. So yeah, I couldn't wait to share that with you. Oh my God, so exciting. And he's so good. He just, I always remember The River's Edge, which is just an unsettling and weird movie that I really want to watch again. Super underrated. Uh, River's Edge is like, for our other genre people, not a horror movie, but it does fit neatly into the thriller yeah. category. River's Edge is worth a watch. It's so weird and i thought uh river's edge should be remade now oh uh, that would be interesting I, I feel like you could do a good take of it with like social media mm -hmm. uh and the way you know like about if you did it about teenagers now uh there could be a lot of good commentary there on social media and you know school violence and stuff like that yeah it's definitely one of those fucked up coming of age stories and i feel it was sort of read i mean it isn't a straight up remake but there was this movie called mean creek in 2004 mm -hmm. that's a similar vibe like i think someone like there's this group of kids and they're out on uh, some sort of out in the the wilderness and one of them kills one of the other ones and rory culkin is in it and it was sort of compared to the river's edge yeah and yeah i i remember i the river's edge used to always weird me out what i did know of it but then when i finally watched it all i was like oh this is fucking good i keep saying the river's edge it's just river's edge so. river's edge corrections corner right now <laughs> it's good yeah and there you go it's one of those keanu reeves well cast in a movie you know it's it's a role that he pulls up between him and crispin glover and dennis hopper who's just so fucking weird in it. dennis hopper is such a psycho i mean because he was a real life psycho so uh it wasn't much of a stretch for him to Step really, they're room. all unsettling. Ioni Sky and then little Joshua Miller. Like, they're all just, it's just, they're all so creepy and so good. And what's his name? Uh, Roebuck that played the one that did the killing. Oh, Daniel. Daniel Roebuck. Yeah. It, and he, he plays like the hulking, just, yeah. You know, the yeah. guy's up, you see him and you're like, that kid is troubled immediately yeah. as soon yeah. as you see him. <laughs> so uh, they, they're all great in that movie, but. This flick, you know, little Joshua Miller, he's got, he had that energy because he's unsettling in this movie. Little he is little Homer, you know, mispronounce it, and I wouldn't want to be you. Is he's a creep, and it's interesting because that scene where the sister is in the motel and she's just randomly up getting a coke at five a.m. Mm -hmm. and but like you can tell that he wants to like 
like if he was gonna kill her, he just would have killed her. Like it seemed like he really wanted this little companion. Yeah, he wanted a friend. Yeah, which was just so I mean, and he probably would have turned her, but he wasn't planning on like killing her. Rewatching this movie too, I was thinking how because I haven't seen it in years. I was glad that it still mostly holds up for me. Um, I feel like there's some the family stuff is a little bit corny. Like it reads pretty corny now. Like it seems very, you know, 80s <laughs> from uh, another time. I know a lot of people take issue with the blood transfusion thing where like, that's how you cure vampirism is just <laughs> give him a quick blood transfusion. Now he's not a vampire anymore. It made more sense with him since he was more recently turned. I felt whereas with May, I'm like, she's been a vampire for like a few years. So mm -hmm. now I have a, uh, I have this on DVD. That's what anchor Bay put it out. Like it's a real nice, you know, back when, you know, they really cared about making these awesome collectors edition DVDs, which sorry guys, this is, this movie's like out of print. It's like really hard to track down. I don't know if there's some rights issues with like whatever studio has it, but like there's no decent home video releases of it out there anymore, like easily uh, obtainable. But anyway, the DVD I have had a booklet in there with like a bunch of essays in it. So I was reading through some of those and in one of them, they do bring up the transfusion scene and they make a good point, which was, you know, you can take issue with it because it breaks from whatever lore that you think you know about vampires, but this movie doesn't adhere to any lore anyway. It made up its own rules about the vampires. So yeah, what's the big deal, guys? Get over yourselves. <laughs> they can make it whatever they want. And I, I mean, I appreciated the happy ending. I liked it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very sweet. And like, just as it was going, I'm like, oh, he's never gonna be able to go back with his family. And I mean, his family was dysfunctional as well. Like, I, did they even ever mention what happened to his mom? Like, was she dead? Did she nope. run away? They don't say. And I love that they don't say. I, I, I like that too. I like when a movie doesn't get bogged down because the family politics uh, and the family story of, you know, that's not the point. So I'm glad they weren't like, well, when mom died 12 years ago, yes. like they didn't get into that. It's just, this is what they are. And, and I do appreciate those sorts of things in movies too, where they, cause we're so trained to just be like, mom, dad, son, daughter, that's a yeah. family. Like we're so coded, you know, to think that when you see a movie, I do like when a movie breaks from that and just does it unapologetically, doesn't force you to like, cause real life is not that simple. And there's so many different types of families out there that it's like, get over yourselves, we're Hollywood, whatever, do more stuff like that. Just show us whatever. Don't worry about us getting confused or whatever. We'll figure it out. Yep. And you know, in the first part of this episode, we talked about werewolves and vampires. And you talked about how werewolves you always saw as sort of, um, you know, like a metaphor for like alcoholism or addiction. But watching this, I really was like mm. vampires really like they both feel like they could you could make a strong case for them being about addiction because this seemed very much like a heroin addiction or something like that. Like you, oh, yeah. you need it so bad and you struggle with it and it tears you away from like your family and the people you love. Mm -hmm. And like, cause I mean, I did crystal meth. That was a, a big issue of mine. And it definitely is like, I felt it watching this movie that what it was like to be in the throes of addiction. And it, it was like scary yet that like that ache and that thirst. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, oh, I know we kind of talked about, oh, it was like werewolves, but I was like, I kind of, for whatever reason in the beginning talked, like didn't think vampires were as much of that, but here I really felt it. Oh, sure. And this movie also never, you know, they never say the word vampire. They just call it 
sickness or I'm sick or that there's something wrong with me. You know, yeah. they just refer to it as an affliction, uh, as like a disease and never in, you know, supernatural terms, even though they clearly have supernatural powers. But mm-hmm. um, that's another thing too, that was kind of fun was vampire movies that often, like when somebody turns into a vampire, they waste a lot of time, like, look at my new powers. And they learn like all the stuff <laughs> they can do, but this movie doesn't even bother with that. It just kind of like, he hits the ground running. Yeah, he throws that guy, guy across the bar and he's like, oh, wow, did, was that me? Did I do yeah, that? Yeah, and that's it. That's the only yeah. time they like show you like anything. Other than that, it's just like whatever happens, happens. Um, but it's also not over the top. Like they don't like no. throw like wh- anytime something has happened and someone's thrown or whatever, it's done very well and not cartoonish at all. Yes. Like, it feels authentic and like, oh, you really just saw that happen as opposed to there yeah. being some like, ooh. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Even even when the dad shoots uh, Jesse. I love that. And then he spits spits the the bullet bullet out, but like they still bleed. You still see the bullet. Like it went into them. Like they still bleed or when diamondback throws the knife and it just stabs him in the face and he has to pull the knife out. Uh, It's still like very real. And man, does Lance Henriksen deliver like tough guy talk. Uh, like there's no so other. many good one-liners in this. Yeah. That scene where they're about to have their final showdown and Jesse's like, well, oh, God, what does he say? I taught Severin everything he knows, but not everything I know. And then, uh, <laughs> so, something about like, you're going to hear your intestines snapping. So like the last thing you're going to hear before you go to hell. And you're like, that's awesome. Like Western, just Western tough guy chatter. And I won't say who just, I mean, I, we, are full of spoilers all the time, but I love that last, some of those last moments where it's very Bonnie and Clyde sort of moment. It's so great. I think my favorite one-liner was from, I'm pretty, yeah, it was Bill Paxson. And he said, I hate it when they ain't been shaved. Ooh, (laughs) yeah. Which I read was an ad, that was an ad lib. Ooh. uh, That was an ad lib. Apparently Bill Paxton like really had a blast in character. Like he got into character and just like went for it. Uh, because they're like, he did, you know, he had a lot of, a lot of his stuff was apparently ad, ad libs or stuff he worked on That's uh, awesome. for the character. But when he said, did I do that? All I thought of was Urkel. It was in the bar. Said, <laughs> yeah. Did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> and apparently Bill Paxton, uh, one thing I was reading too, they said he always wanted to play a gunslinger. Mm. So when he got this role, he really like threw that into this. Cause this was supposed to be, I guess the story goes that, um, Catherine Bigelow, the director, uh, of this film, who I must say is a super, I don't think she's in the conversation enough as great American directors. I mean, I know she's an Oscar winner uh, for what was that? The Hurt Locker, I think. Yeah. Her films are, she's very good. She's just a very good director. I've not seen The Hurt Locker. It, it, it's a good one. Um, I Funny enough, after watching this, I also caught Zero Dark Thirty. Okay. On TV because she does another that war as, film. That, yeah, that's the one that's about uh, hunting Osama bin Laden after right. 9-11. Uh, and that's also a very well-made movie. Like she's just good at tension thrillers. She also did Point Break. Right, which I've never seen. Uh, that's uh, it's it's cheesy, but I love it. Man, if you gave me a double feature of Near Dark and Point Break, like, ooh, I'd be in heaven. That's just- There's like, a Point Break the Musical, I think is what it's called. Because it's the surfing one, right? Yes, they are surfing bank robbers. It was in California for, I think, a number of years. And they would always bring up someone from the audience to be like, the Keanu Reeves part, or there's some part. Uh-huh. And they would bring someone up out of the audience to play that every night. 
Um, I know we looked at doing it at one point, and I don't know if we couldn't get the rights or what it was, but it sounded like a lot of fun. I, I, uh, that makes sense, because that's a movie where Keanu Reeves gives a notoriously wonky performance in it. Okay. So, I'm an FBI agent. Like, it's totally all over the place but so i want to harken back to return to newcomb high yeah really fast because in that they talk about getting in trouble for downloading the hurt locker uh-huh and i meant to bring this up when we talked about it i know someone who got in trouble with the law because they downloaded the hurt locker really but the big issue was that they downloaded it and then it got it was seeded out to so many people who downloaded it as well. It wasn't so much the downloading of it as how many people then downloaded it from this person. Yeah. And I remember they had to hire a lawyer because they were being sued for an insane amount of money. Uh-huh. And I just I like when I heard that and returned to Newcomb High, I'm like, that is so weird that I know someone that that happened to with that exact movie. Did they have to pay money? Did they? I don't. I don't know it? how it all turned out. I just remember hearing about the initial. Oh sure. Impact. That's why when you were on the Pirate Bay, people torrenting, you're supposed to turn off the seed. You don't share. You just grab That's it. That's right. As soon as you download it, you get rid of it. You grab it and you pull it off of there. <laughs> the it's a very important thing. Allegedly, I heard that's how that's you do it. That's what they say. Not that I know anything <laughs> about anything, but on uh, my description, I was pretty right. Yeah. Um, like that. It's because. I would describe it as sort of a neo-Western. Yes. Yep. Really everything except for I said there it would have a bleak ending and evil would prevail, my go-to, because it was a very happy ending, it, a romantic was, yeah, ending. They it's made a it. romance. The kids are all right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh Neo-Western. That was one more thing I wanted to say was uh Catherine Bigelow apparently really she co-wrote this as well. She really wanted to make a Western mm. uh, and was envisioning this originally, this story originally as a Western, uh, but none of the stu- all the studios were like, nobody's making Westerns. Nobody wants Westerns. So if you made something else and then they realized, well, horror is doing great right now. Like, what if we made a Western that was also a horror movie? Uh, how would we mm. do that? And that's how this movie came to be. And you're right, Lost Boys and this are both in 1987, which is so interesting because they're like a would be a great double feature. Oh, and yeah. Lost Boys is like the funnier version. Not that this doesn't have humor, it is dark humor, but Lost Boys is more of like a teen comedy than this is. This is more adult. Yes, I've always heard people say like Lost Boys is the version of the story for kids. It's mm-hmm. for the teens and this is the adult oriented. For sure. More serious, a little heavier thematically. Yep. Okay, man. Out of five revolvers with a cross on the handle, <laughs> uh, how many do you give it? I give it four. And that's, well, I thought you were going to give it like a three and a half, but four, okay. that's awesome. What do you give it? That's how I feel, four. Uh, okay. While I was rewatching it, every so often there'd be like, you know, like a corny scene or something like that. And I'd be like, want to detract a star or half a star, but I'm like, no, this is just a good movie. Once it's done, like there's one other thing I have to say about it that I really mm. loved. And that's in that bar scene, it did something that I absolutely love. And that's when they use music, the DeJesus music or whatever. Diegetic. <laughs> yeah, diegetic music for the scene without bringing in manipulative scoring. Oh, yeah. To- like, like it's just this sort of sappy country music and the whole scene plays out with like three country and Western songs and it never uses like 
dramatic music in there. Mm -hmm. And I love that so much, especially in horror movies. Like, I think The Strangers does that a time or two with, like, um, it's like Joanna Newsom on, like, Mm -hmm. their record player or something. I just love when that happens, when they use, like, music that's sort of the antithesis of what's happening in the scene. It makes it that much more powerful. And I I love that so much. Yeah, I, I think that's great where it's like, yeah something horrific is happening and it's like like a john denver song is playing or something like yes. rocky mountain high is playing like while people are being murdered there's like I love it so something much. i love those kinds of the contrast yeah but yeah so yeah this is just a good movie uh both of these yet again we had another good week of just like good movies we did and there's a couple connections that i really love first of all mm-hmm. totally unplanned the mm-hmm. biggest cool one to me is that they're both directed by women yes which we did not plan. And I think it's so awesome because they're both just so good. Yes. And my other connection was, I think that they both have a lot to do with family. Family is like an important aspect and really a fucked up family. Yeah. Like in 12 hour shift, her brother's there and they kind of talk about how fucked up their relationship is. Mm -hmm. And then her relationship with her cousin through marriage, Regina, like that fucked up relationship. And here the family dynamic is also important. Sure. And and it's all non-traditional families. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking they're both directed by women. I was like, oh, wow. What a great coincidence we had. Uh, And that was kind of where I was, you know, I wanted to give you some stuff that's coming from different kinds of voices that, you know, I'm sure if we looked at it, virtually everything we've covered is, you know, the bulk of it is just white men, I'm sure, directing most of the movies we've looked at so far. So I like to get some more, save for a couple of them. But yeah, I like to get some. Oh, yeah. Some other some other voices in there. For sure. Yep. I've been trying to get some women in there, but we definitely need to pull in some people of color and we need to get a little more diversity up in this bitch. Mm-hmm. And I know I, I did my Japanese little excursion. True. Still, yep. those were all directed by men, though. So it's nice to shake it up. Yep. That's right. Give the ladies because their due. Or... We're all inclusive yeah, here. And anybody else. So I'm trying to find some more interesting creators to dig jump, it. to throw at you. Love it. Throw it right on my face. <laughs> all over. <laughs> now it's all over your face. So write to us. Tell us what movies you think we should cover, what you think of us. Do you love us? Do you hate us? Whatever you want. Just shoot us a message. Shoot it all over our faces. Scaring is sharing Please cover me in it. <laughs> or scaring is sharing on the Insta. If you go to our Insta, we have our little link tree. You can find us on Letterboxd. All sorts of things. So mm-hmm. check it out. Try and find us. You know, I did a little bit on Instagram. I've rebranded myself. Not that anybody cares about our personal Instagrams, but <laughs> I do. Uh, you know, I uh, I rebranded myself. That is, I am Sasquatch Slim. You can find me on Instagram <laughs> at Sasquatch Slim. Um, I'm fully. I'm gonna embracing. call you Sassy Slim for short. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's a persona, you know, I've been developing whatever, what a handle, whatever you want to call it. So I'm embracing it. That's my horror. That's my horror guy handle Sasquatch slim and the scream queen is here with me. So yep, that's right. It's perfect. Well, Jeremy, it's always a pleasure. Always. I look forward to our weekly horror therapy sessions. Me uh, too. The world can go as crazy as it wants, but as long as I get to watch some scary movies, uh, you know, all is, that's my moment of Zen. That's right. That's, that's right. It. 
So until next time, guys, keep sharing yep. the scares. Because scaring is sharing. Sweet screams. And watch those <laughs> fucking horror movies. Well, see you later. Bye. Scaring is sharing. Scaring is sharing. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.